Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you expect a certain amount of return on your capital, say 15%, you may not hit that number. You may only do 2%. You may only do 3%. But if you're doing your job right, you shouldn't lose money on that deal. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's us say? Brandon Silvera. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Brandon. He's a fourth generation farmer and real estate investor who has bought and sold millions in real estate, currently manages over $100 million in assets. Specialty is in farm management, land acquisition, and a variety of farm and financing strategies. His passion is to bridge the gap between farmland and investors based in Fresno, California. So with that being said, Brandon, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I was born and raised in farming, just like any farm kid. I was kind of out here on the ranch most of my life. Went and got an agricultural degree at Cal Poly and came back and figured I'd better do what I like and know best. So I just kept farming. Okay. So you've got $100 million in assets right now. What does that comprise of? Mostly agricultural property. So we farm almonds, walnuts, grapes, garlic, tomatoes, cotton, corn, wheat, oats. We've got a variety of permanent crops as well as row crops that we own and manage. So you own the land and the business, which is the product that you're farming? Yes. There's the land that we own that we grow our crops on. And then we also manage some other property where we grow crops on other land for other owners. 
kind of a full service type situation. Been doing that for quite a while. We put together some bigger investment deals. And one thing that I saw was there was a need for lower capital entry for some investors. Some of the deals that were happening were, say, a $5 million farm, and it's five guys putting in a million dollars a piece. And then there's one guy who has $100,000, but couldn't get in on the deal. And I just saw a huge need for this lower entry level to buy smaller farms and for people to get in and invest in farmland without putting up huge amounts of capital. Okay. And that is the company that you founded? Yeah, I founded Farm Funder, which is a crowdfunding website where as little as $10,000, you can invest in a property that we have on our site and own the land. And then we also manage the farm instead of leasing it back. And the way that works is we either hire a separate farm manager or if it's in our geographical area, we'll hire our company to manage the farm. That way the investor sees a larger return. Got it. Okay. So as an investor, if someone were to invest, say, as you said, as little as 10,000, let's say they invest 10,000 in a deal, Mm -hmm. then they're buying a portion of what exactly are they buying? For example, we have an almond orchard up right now as an offering and we have a $900,000 capital raise. And for as little as $30,000 in this particular investment, you buy a portion of that orchard. That orchard is put into an LLC and you own a portion of that LLC and the LLC owns the almond orchard outright. That way you can see the appreciation of that farm. And when you harvest those almonds, that profit from that crop goes back to you. And I know next to nothing on different types of crops and what they yield. I imagine, well, I do know that certain things are seasonal. So what are some products that you would farm that are more seasonal versus others are always generating income? There's not many monthly cash flow type of commodities out there that we're growing. There's some alfalfa and different things that you harvest every month, but those investments really aren't great on the scale that we're trying to do things. Most everything is a once a year after you harvest the crops, after the crops are sold, the payments are distributed back. It's pretty crazy compared to the commercial world or apartments or anything like that. The returns can be great, but you just aren't going to see that 12 months of income every 30 days. With alfalfa, for example, you said it doesn't really get you to the scale that you'd like to get. Why wouldn't it be able to? Here in California, land prices are pretty high. So if you're going to buy a piece of property with a high land value, and alfalfa is a water-intensive crop, and water is pretty expensive here as well, to go out and buy this property and the return you're going to get on your investment probably wouldn't be something that would be interesting to an investor. Now, there is a lot of that crop around, but most of these are older dairy farms and whatnot that farm those types of crops. Okay. So what are the disadvantages of going to an area with much cheaper land? Is it that you just can't command the same price that you get in California for the product once it's ready? So the Midwest, for example, 5000 to $8,000 an acre, you can get some good ground out there. But you're also limited to planting soybeans, corn, very few crops. And here in California, the range of crops that we can plant is astronomical. If you have class one, really good soil, we can grow stone fruit, cherries, 
walnut, you name it. There's just so many different things that we could plant, which makes it very appealing to outside investors because you have options. One commodity, unless you're planting a permanent orchard or vineyard, if you're in the row crop business, if you have one commodity that isn't doing well that year, you can switch it out and plant something different. So it's very appealing. As a passive investor who's looking at your opportunities, who has not invested in this type of asset class before, what are the questions they should ask themselves when looking at a specific opportunity to qualify if it is the right opportunity for them or not? If you're going to invest in California, the number one thing you're going to want to know is does it have water and does it have two sources of water? Most everything, especially here in the San Joaquin Valley where we're at, you're going to want a groundwater source and you're going to want a surface water source. If you don't have both of those, I wouldn't buy it. That's going to be the absolute number one. What's an example of a surface water source? Surface water source, basically we have a pretty intricate system of canals and dams here in California to where you own stock or the ditch water owns a stock that owns a percentage of the water that's held in the dam and you have a right to use that on your crops. Okay. So number one, make sure it has at least two sources of water. Yep. And then number two, you're going to make sure it's good soil. Soil is very important. How could Uh, someone analyzing this via the internet know if it's good soil or not? Well, first of all, you're going to want to see the past yield report. So if you're buying a new piece of property or investing in something like what we're doing, you're going to want to make sure that it has a history of producing what it should produce to have a good return on your investment. You can dive into it a little deeper. The USDA has soil reports that basically classify everything between a class one, two, or three soil. Okay. So you know if it's a class one soil and you can see it on this USDA report, you know it's pretty good dirt. Okay. Is class three a deal breaker? No. <laughs> it's kind of like if you're going to invest in an apartment complex in A, B, or C location. C location isn't a deal breaker if the price is right. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept. If you've got some pretty cheap dirt and you can put a crop on there that's going to give you a good return on investment, it may be a good investment. But you also have to look at what's the lifespan of that crop and am I going to have to take that crop out and how many years can I keep it in there? And then what am I going to put in there next? It's class three bad soil. You're very limited. So I definitely would say it's a deal breaker, but you'd want to be a lot more careful. One, does it have two sources of water? Two, is it good soil? What else should we consider? And thank you for the analogy of ABC multifamily. That helped me personally, so I appreciate that. Yeah. You're going to want to make sure that whoever's management or whichever farm manager is going to farm that crop is familiar and and knows what they're doing. And that's something we take pride in here at Farm Funder is that if we're not farming it ourselves, which we're extremely familiar with these crops, we're going to hire the best of the best. When you're initially looking at a new opportunity, Mm -hmm. I imagine you ask yourselves questions number one and two. Number three, you know that you have confidence in yourself. So that's good. Number one, number two. What are some other questions that you ask yourself when assessing an opportunity to offer up to investors? Basically, what's the upside? Can we add value or is this commodity going to return a good yearly cash flow and is it going to appreciate? One thing here in California, we're seeing a lot of consolidation as far as farms because of water districts and their location. And I look at what's going to happen to this property in seven years, 
10 years, 20 years? And how long is the investor going to have to hold on? How long are we going to hold on to it? And what's the upside going to be? For example, in almonds, almonds have a lifespan of around 20 to 25 years. And there's a lot of orchards out there that are producing great right now that have high price tags on them, but they're at 15, 18 years old. If you're an investor and we invest in this particular orchard for, say, $30,000 an acre, in seven years, we have to pull that orchard out. What's that ground going to be worth? Is it going to be worth 20000 an acre? Do we have to replant? There's so many different variables that we look at to make sure that... How do you project whatever, that? How do you determine your assumptions there? Due diligence. I'm finding out the varieties. I'm finding out how old these trees are or grapes or what the price has been, what the demand is. There's just probably a thousand different things you've got to look at to make sure that you're investing in the right piece of property. The whole period, seven years is a lot different than 12 years in this world. So, And talking about some major successes and some not so much, let's first talk about your most profitable venture. What's the most profitable venture you've done? Single deal or in general? Either one, whatever you, you uh, want to talk about. Almonds right now are very profitable. So we like almonds. I think the demand is strong. Don't they take um, a bunch of water? Am I imagining that? I thought they did. Well, it all depends on how you look at it. They don't take as much water as a lot of other crops. For example, walnuts take a little bit more water. Alfalfa takes tons of water. Corn takes more water than almonds. Almonds take a little bit more than you would put on, say, a tomato crop or some of these other row crops a little bit more than you'd put on a vineyard. But they kind of got some bad press, I think, because people said, oh, it takes a gallon of water per nut. Well, it's a terrible way of looking at things because when you put water on these crops, they're building an entire plant. They're building the root system. And any excess water is going down and it's being pushed back down into the aquifer. So if you use a certain amount of water, there's a good amount of water that's going back into the soil and going back into the aquifer as well. Mm. So it's not really a good way of... Interesting soundbite, but not completely painting the whole picture. Exactly. Thank you for that, because the press got me on that one, so thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and there's so many other good things that these orchards are doing. Almonds, depending on how they're farmed, they call it a zero-carbon crop, where they take as much out as costing us to farm these crops. So that's a whole different story, but (laughs) they're a good investment, I think. And let's talk about a individual investment that didn't go well. Which one have you lost the most amount of money on? Me personally, the only thing I've ever really regret was I bought a condo and it was a bad investment. It wasn't farmland. I've done real well in the farmland aspects. Maybe that's because I'm more familiar, but I bought a condo one time that we had an HOA that was pretty reasonable. I think it was like 300 and some. And the HOA started going up astronomically where I thought, man, there's something wrong here. I don't understand. It was in a high-rise building. I bought it for an investment. And I kept saying, man, I think this guy's going to go bankrupt. He's pushing too many fees on this condo owners because the units underneath us aren't doing very well. And the board of the HOAs were like, no, you know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, (laughs) sure enough, 18 months later, the guy claimed bankruptcy. The whole building went bankrupt. And I didn't do too well on that particular investment, (laughs) to say the least. So... (laughs) How much did you lose? Do you remember? Well, I ended up hanging on to the unit and renting it out until the building was actually sold and we kept our units and whatnot. And the price rebounded back to where about the same price. It was exactly the same price I bought it at. But considering interest and what I was losing per month for the mortgage and rent, oh man, I would hate to even... 
Yeah, I don't even want to do the math. <laughs> we won't make it. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we'll I'm let probably really on that. About it. <laughs> this is a happy show. Well, yeah. based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I mean, honestly, never lose money. That's it. If you expect a certain amount of return on your capital, say 15%, you may not hit that number. You may only do 2%. You may only do 3%. But if you're doing your job right, you shouldn't lose money on that deal. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. All right. You said that never lose money. So I heard that. But earlier Mm -hmm. we talked about the cycle of what you do and you said you get money basically once a year after harvesting so Mm -hmm. one might hear don't lose money but then think well shoot but you're getting one pop and hopefully the market doesn't change over 12 months hopefully some wacky stuff environmentally doesn't change so it seems Mm -hmm. like it's a riskier investment because you're only getting paid after harvest and you've got to hold your breath and cross your fingers and hope everything works out over 12 months what would you say to that thought process I'd say that it is riskier, but you have to hedge your bet. We have crop insurance and we have different things that we can do. Also, you can't gauge a long-term investment like farmland off of 12 months. It really is a long-term investment. So you may lose money in a year, but if you lose money over the life of that particular investment, it was a bad investment from the start. How many years should one expect to invest in farmland in order to give it a fair shake? I wouldn't invest any less than seven years, really. I think appreciation and commodity prices need a fairly good life cycle. And anything over 12 or longer is probably a great investment. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? We've held a couple different events strictly for our local children's hospital. It's probably kind of my sweet spot right there. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Go to farmfunder.com, which is F-A-R-M-F-U-N-D. D-R, there's no E in there, dot com. And you can also reach me anytime, email info at farmfunder.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google us, find us. We're out there. Brandon, thanks for being on the show, talking to us about farmland funding, your company and your venture, and enjoy learning about this because I did not know much, if anything, about it prior to our conversation. So I hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email That's toughdecisions.net. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way 
and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.